Y'all doing all right tonight? All right. So my, uh, my Bible's falling apart. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's, that's good, right? Everyone's Bible should be falling apart. So uh, one time, I put it on top of my car, right, because I was, like, loading stuff in my car because I was playing on the worship team and, you know, like, when you're a musician or whatever, you have a lot of just gear, and I'm, like, throwing it in my car, and I hop in because all my friends are going to Whataburger, and, uh, which we can go there tonight. Anybody want to go there tonight? Anyway, so I hop in my car and take off, and when I get to Whataburger, my Bible was still on top of my car. It stayed. It didn't fly off. I was like, it's a miracle. So, um, yeah, that was one of the many duct tape jobs I had to do on it. <clears throat> anyway, so... Uh, y'all open your Bibles to the book of First John, all right, and uh, I'm going to pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would uh, prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say tonight. Um, Holy Spirit, we give you the right to speak to us, to correct our thoughts and our attitudes, Lord, to be the king of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would, you would speak tonight, Lord, in a powerful way. Lord, help me clearly um, communicate what you have put on my heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're just going to read the first couple of verses of this and then dive into a little story, and I hope that's okay with you. All right, so 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at. And our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your joy complete. All right? Okay, so about, I don't know, five, six years ago, right, two of my dear friends got married. All right? And um, so their names are, are Pam and Jonathan. And so Pam and Jonathan had been our friends for years. Like we, we met them when they were freshmen in college. My wife and I were serving with Chi Alpha in Huntsville, Texas at Sam Houston State. And like we got to watch the whole process, right? We got to watch, you know, Pam was just like your normal student. Like she didn't go to church or anything, but we watched her hunger for Jesus grow. We watched her like commit her life to Jesus, right? We watched that whole step. Jonathan was an awkward really awkward homeschool kid, you know, and uh, you know when you meet a homeschool kid, come on, like, you know, you can almost smell it, you know, where you're like, ah, you're homeschool, aren't you? Anyway, um, but Jonathan was really awkward, and so when he, just, when he like started liking Pam, and he was like, hey, I want to talk to her, he's one of the few guys in my life I've ever been like, yes, go talk to her right now. Do it now. You need to, right? Because he needed to develop social skills. Even if she shot him down, it would have been like, you talk to another human. Yeah. You know? Good. Um, otherwise, he just sits in the corner and plays guitar sadly to himself. Anyway, it's true. He's not like that anymore. It's not like, anyway. Okay, so we watched them grow together. We watched them start dating, right? And my wife and I, we had two kids at this point, so it was a long time ago. Um, we have five now. 
Um, but at this point, we only had two. And Pam and Jonathan were always the first to go, hey, can we watch your kids? Do you want a date night? Right? And just, hey, look, pro tip. If there are any families or couples in your life and they have small children, they want a date night. You don't even have to ask, right? Just, ladies, just volunteer, you know. It's, it, yeah, they'll love you forever, right? So they would always watch our kids. And so Jonathan is of Mexican descent, right? And Pam is of African descent. And it was always a blast to hear the stories about the looks they would get as they walked through Walmart with my two pasty white children, <laughs> right? You got Finnegan, my daughter, she's got kind of strawberry blonde hair, and then Donald is just, he looks like a poster child for the Aryan master race, right? Just bleach blonde hair, right? I'm not saying he is, I'm just saying that's what he looks like. People calm down, goodness. I'm not like advocating anything, good lord. Anyway, so, it was fun. You know, they had the stroller and they're pushing them around Walmart in Huntsville, Texas, you know, and there's a bunch of people that are like, what on earth? Did they steal them babies? You know? Um, it was fun. I, I always wanted to just, like, can I follow you around one day and just watch the reactions? Anyway, um, it's even better now when they take all five of our kids, because then it's really confusing, because my son Henry has bright red hair. They're like, where did the Ronald McDonald kid come from? <laughs> Henry will hear this recording one day, and he'll just go, I knew my dad didn't love me. Anyway, <laughs> I'm kidding, Henry. It's fine. He's the middle child, so he's going to feel like that anyway. Middle children in the house, raise your hands. You know what I'm saying? We need therapy, right? Yeah. The, the desperation for love and approval is always there. Hence all my jokes. Anyway, um, laughter is approval. So Pam and Jonathan, you know, they were always a part of our life. They, they helped us, you know, just be a family. They, they helped us be a healthy family. They you know, my kids grew up calling them Aunt Pam and Uncle Jonathan. And it took them a very long time to understand that they weren't like actual aunt and uncle, right? So, um, yeah, we're a modern family, right? So they loved our kids. And when Jonathan, when Jonathan proposed to Pam, right, one of the first things that they decided they would do was ask my daughter to be the flower girl in their wedding, Right? And so, okay, I got to tell you a little bit about my daughter Finnegan, okay? I have one girl, my daughter Finnegan, she's our oldest, and then after that, four boys, okay? And they're like boy boys, right? And my wife and I always joke that the reason we only had boys after Finnegan is because she used up all of the girl. She used all of it, right? She was born with like rainbows and sprinkles in her hair, you know what I mean? Like... She sleeps with unicorns, you know, like she goes into a land of fantasy. We call it Finneyland. I'm not kidding. She goes to Finneyland. Her teachers, even now, are like, sometimes she's watching me teach, but I know she's not there. <laughs> yes, we know it's Finneyland. She's out there. She's here, but out there, you know, here, out there. So she. Yeah, she like skips and jumps everywhere. Uh, one time she was really sad, but she still wanted to skip. So she was doing the most pathetic like skip. <laughs> but that, that's my daughter. And she's always skipping and bouncing. She's just a little ball of glitter and rainbows and unicorn. And you want to win her heart, buy her a pretty dress, right? 
She wants to wear pretty dresses all the time. Her dream is to be a princess. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? A mommy and a princess. Like, that's it, right? So she is a 100% little girl, okay? I think I've communicated that enough, right? So when Pam and Jonathan asked Finnegan to be the flower girl, they did it in the most awesome, amazing way. I've never seen it done like this before, okay? So they came over to our house, and they had the dress that they had picked out and bought for her, right? They had a bouquet of flowers. Bouquet? Bouquet? Anyway, they had flowers. And they knocked on the door, and they're like, we need to speak to Miss Finnegan Scroggins. And so we bring her to the door, and then they both got down on one knee, and they said, Finnegan, will you be our flower girl, right? Finnegan said, yes, of course. They could have asked her to do anything. They had flowers in a pretty dress. Like, she was in. She was like, you had me at hello, you know? <laughs> and, and they asked... They asked her because they knew her, right? They knew that character that she had, just so positive and bubbly. I mean, effervescent is the word that I like to use, you know? She's just so happy, and everything is just so wonderful, you know? And so they, they knew her character, right? And they knew how beautiful that was, and they wanted to see what she would do. Like, they wanted that character expressed in their wedding, right? They wanted to feature her in their wedding, She got to be the flower girl, the one that makes the way for the bride. Isn't that awesome? Because there was something about her that they loved and they valued, and they wanted her to perform a task for them, right? So they dreamed of her personality at work in their wedding, right? So there's kind of three little points in there that we need to unpack. One is that they, they knew her character. They knew the type of person she was. Two, they valued her. And three, they had a purpose in mind for that character and value. Does that make sense? So the first thing I want to kind of expand upon is, is this idea of character. And I want to talk about a little bit about like the biblical idea of character. Okay? So... One interesting thing about character is that it's, it's not created, right? It's not like an instantaneous thing. Character's developed, okay? So you, you heard me say this last time I preached, but thoughts lead to actions. Actions lead to habits. Habits lead to character, and character determines destiny, right? You all remember that? Thoughts lead to actions. Actions lead to habits. Habits lead to character. And character determines destiny. So character develops because of our thoughts and our actions. Okay? And so the Bible says this. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he being God, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Right? So many times, like, especially our generation, I can say our, is that still okay? Anyway, so our generation, you know, one of the questions we really struggle with, I know I struggled with, was who am I supposed to be? You know, what type of person am I supposed to be? Because things feel so directionless, you know? I know, like, I would always get frustrated. You know, there's this kind of idea of, it's called postmodernism, right? And, like, all truth is relative, did y'all ever, like one of the, did y'all ever deal with this? I remember in elementary school, 
I had this one teacher that would always say like, you know, like, oh, we didn't have a winner. We played a game in class. She's like, everyone wins. And I was like the kid that was like, that means no one wins. You know, if everyone wins, then everyone's a loser. Like, what are you saying? That's nonsense, right? And sometimes when we're talking about character development, it feels like that, right? Like, who, who am I supposed to be? Who do I look up to, right? Well, God has an answer for us here. It's his son. So some people will read that verse, Romans eight twenty nine, and they'll think that it's talking about, hey, when you're born, you either get horns or a halo, and it's done, it's decided, right? See, it says foreknew and predestined in there. So, you know, you either get a red H or a blue H. <laughs> done, right? But that's not the point of this verse, Okay, if you look at the sentence, the point of the sentence is conform to the image of his son. This verse is about character. This verse is about who you're supposed to be. So the two kind of big scary words in here, the $15 words, are foreknew and predestined. And if, if you'll indulge a nerd for a moment, um, I want to talk about the Greek meaning of those words just briefly. The Greek word for foreknew is the word prognosko, okay? Yeah, prognosko. You can break it into two parts. Pro, which is Greek prefix that means before, and gnosko, which means knowledge, okay? So foreknowledge, good translation. But there's a little bit of shades of meaning here. Gnosko didn't just mean knowledge as a, a, like I know how to read or, or I know what the color green is, but it was also an idiom for sex. Like when Mary is speaking to the angel and she's like, but I've never known a man. She uses the word gnosko there. So it means like an intimate knowledge. Furthermore, this word cannot mean what we think it means in our modern kind of idea of foreknowledge because this word is used in the Bible, in relation of man to man. When Paul, at the end of Book of Acts, Paul's at the end of his life, right? And uh, he's, he's been arrested, and he's brought before the court of King Herod. King Herod looks at Paul, and he says, I prognoscoed you. I foreknew you. In the Bible, in some of the translations, it's translated as, I've heard about you. Or a better way to say it, I have an idea of who you are. Right? The second big scary word is predestined. All right? Our, our old friend pro, pro orizo, is the word in Greek. So our old friend pro comes back like, hi, pro, how you doing? Right? We know what that means. The second part is orizo. And that's the word that we get horizon from. Okay? Orizo is the word that we get horizon from. So when we think predestined kind of in our modern, you know, semi-Christian culture, some of us have been in church and we've heard these terms before, we think of predestined as like rails on a train track, right? You're on these rails, you're going, and there's nothing you can do to stop it, right? But that's not it. It's a horizon. It's a boundary. In Greek culture, a farmer, if he, if he, if he was claiming new land, would pro-orizo his farm. He would walk the boundaries of his farm in advance to mark out his territory. Right? So what this verse is saying is that from the beginning, God had an idea of who you were. And the greatest extent of that person was Jesus. What that means is that you were always wanted to look like Jesus. 
But why? So that you would be a part of his family. God's always wanted you to look like Jesus to be a part of his family. Right? Secondly, with the value, right? We've heard that we're kind of like this big galactic accident. Right? I remember uh, I used to manage a restaurant and I had this waiter friend. And, um, you know, one day we were talking. We always, like, joked a lot with each other. You know, it's, it's a wait staff job. So we, we made fun of each other a lot, right? And I remember one day it dawned on him that I'm a Christian, right? And he was like, wait, you believe in the Bible and Jesus? And I was like, you don't? He's like, man, I thought you were smart. I was like, I thought you were smart. He's like, how do you believe in some kind of invisible sky god? And I was like, how do you believe in time plus chance plus what, magic? Right? So some people think, some people think that we are a cosmic accident. That a bunch of, you know, there was a whole bunch of nothing and then an explosion and there was everything. And then those everything bumped into each other and made us. Right? We can go into details about that later if you want afterwards. But, you know, so, so in that view, a materialist view, in that view, you know, the human body, right, if we were to break it down into its composition, el- com- compositional elements and chemicals, is worth about $12. Right? So, sometimes it's easy to feel valueless or worthless. Right? You'll track it with me? But here's what God says about that. See, in Genesis 126 and 27, God says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Right? Do you notice how it looks like God stutters there right at the end? Well, in the Hebrew tradition, this is a side note for you, sorry. Um, in the Hebrew tradition, a rabbi would repeat something to emphasize it. So if you ever read Proverbs and you're like, why is he repeating himself? It's because he's trying to emphasize it, right? In English, we'll like stress stuff by elongating vowels or whatever. But in the Hebrew tradition, we just repeat it. So he's emphasizing that you are God created, okay? So another interesting thing here that you might skip over is that it doesn't talk about it doesn't talk about likeness being repeated, right? It repeats image because likeness is character, right? And I can say this because in Genesis 5, verse 3, it talks about Seth, the son of Adam, right, having the likeness of Adam. And that's not said about Adam's other son, Cain, who killed his brother, right? So likeness is character, Okay, so if we have an infinite God and he creates us in his likeness, we're going to look different every time. An infinite being compressed to a finite creation looks different every time. That's why we can look so different and still all be in the image of God. So think of it this way. I know that's kind of like weird and like how can you make that statement? Whatever. But think of it this way. Think of the whole alphabet, okay? Now sum up the alphabet in one letter. You can't, right? Any other letter is as good as the other, right? If you pick A, well, that's a good start. Yeah, but that's a vowel. What about the consonants? 
You know, you can pick B, but that's a consonant. What about the vowels? Really clever people will pick Y because it's both vowel and consonant. You know what I'm saying, right? But any letter in there is just as good as the other to represent the whole. And that's kind of how it is us with God, right? You are a snapshot of God's infinite character. You are a snapshot of God's infinite character. Let me tell you a story real quick that might help you understand what I'm saying. When we first found out that my wife was pregnant with my daughter, right, I remember sitting in my office, and I was just blown away. I was just praying, you know, like, Lord, this is amazing. I can't believe you're going to trust me with a, with a kid. Like, I can barely put my pants on right in the morning, and you're giving me a child, right? And, and I remember he spoke to me, and he said, you don't know how big of a deal it really is. She's going to show a part of my character that has never been seen before and will never be seen again. Right? And I was just, I just started crying, you know? And then, a couple days later, I was walking across campus and I, I, I walked by some fraternities. And I got really mad in my heart at them. And... I'm kind of ashamed to say it, but I was, I was like cursing them in my heart. I'm like, Lord, tear it down. Get rid of them. And I, just remember, I remember I was going to the library, and I put my hand on the door of the library, and the Lord stopped me. And he goes, hey, if it's true for your daughter, then it's true for her, for them. Every single one of you shows a part of God's character that has never been seen before, and will never be seen again. And that's where your value comes from. That's why you matter. Because you bring something sacred to the world. You have a holy mandate to show the world a part of God that we won't ever see again. That's why Jesus tells you to love one another and love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you don't, you miss out on that image of God. So my favorite author, uh, G.D. Watson, he says this, Who but an infinite God could have so formed creation as to make it seem to each person that he stands in the center of the horizon and the world, and to make it equally true that each child of his stands in the center of his mighty providence and grace. This is God's complement to our individuality. You understand that? It doesn't matter where you stand, you still feel like the center of the horizon. Because it doesn't matter where you stand, you're still in the center of God's love. He values you that much. So we all express this unique character, right, that will never be seen again. And has never been seen before. And that's why we're valuable. And that's what's precious about you. Now what God does is really beautiful. Is that he sees these things. And he starts dreaming of things for you to do. He starts dreaming about what would be cool. To have your unique personality do in this world. I know I really struggled with this. I don't know if if y'all have. But for the longest time I, I struggled with what my purpose was. 
You know, why am I here? What is the point of all this? And we have a Father in heaven that has a purpose for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Right? This is every, like, church kid's favorite verse because it means they're going to get married. Right? That's, that's what that means. Plans like wedding plans? All right? A couple things about this. The Hebrew word for plans in there because this was written in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for plans can also be translated as dreams. Right? So the danger here is it will interpret this in that railroad track thinking. And that if we derail it, it's ruined forever. But that's not true. Plans are like that. Yes, plans can be foiled and ruined. But dreams, no. Dreams only die when you give up. God has a dream for you. He sees your beautiful character. He knows how valuable you are, and he has a dream of what you can do with that. Y'all tracking? Y'all understand? And dreams are so much bigger than plans. Because they encompass what what you feel like you're meant to do. So I'm going to go back to my old friend G.D. Watson. And this is what Watson says. God is so infinite that all the countless millions that love and serve him, if one little soul living in obscurity in some hidaway place fails to fill its mission, God will miss that note in the vast orchestra of the universe, which is perpetually sounding forth his praise. There's not any mere action that God would miss So much is the love and confidence of some trusting soul. So God sees in you so much potential for creativity and, and beauty and dignity. So much so that all of creation waits and groans for the revealing of the sons of God. All of creation's waiting for you to do what God's dreaming about. Isn't that crazy? So he's given you a task and a purpose that only you can do in your special and unique way. And he wants you to do it. But he will not force you to. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. So, you're like, this is all good and great, Scroggins. But what is this task you keep referring to? What is the purpose? What is the job, right? What does God want from me? That's a fair question. So let's go back to 1 John. In verse 3, he says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's your purpose, is fellowship with him. Jesus says it a different way. He says, go forth and make disciples of all nations. See, that purpose is dual. 
you don't just you don't just have fellowship with him but you bring others into fellowship with you and with him right cuz the two greatest commandments are twofold right there's there's two parts to that love the lord your god with all your mind heart soul and strength and love thy neighbor as thyself and you cannot separate those two so god has asked you to invite others back into his family Because they're valuable to him. Because just like you're the center of the horizon, they are too. So Jesus tells a story to illustrate this. And Jesus tells a story about this treasure that's been hidden in a field. Right? And so, let's imagine this guy, right? He's late for, late, late getting off work, and he's heading home, and he misses his last bus home, right? And so he's like, it's all right, I'll just cut across this field. So he's walking across this field, and he sees a little for sale sign in the field, but he he's like, ignores it because he's in a hurry, and he's walking as fast as he can, and then, boom, he trips over something, right? And he looks back to see what he tripped over so that he can yell at it, right? Because that's what any sane human being does, yell at the thing that hurts you, yep. You ever, like, drop something and then look at your hand like your hand did it? Anyway, uh, I do that all the time. Nope, no hold there. It was me. Uh, He trips over this box, right? And he he sees it's, like, the corner of a box, and it's kind of cracked open. So he, like, bends down and looks at it, and he kind of pulls it open, and he can see, like, something metallic in there. So he reaches in, he pulls it out, right? And he feels like that box is kind of deep, right? But he he grabs something. It's kind of round, a little bit heavy. He looks at it. He's like, huh, it looks kind of old, right? So then he goes down the street, right? And he sees an antiques dealer. And he goes into this antique store and he just kind of puts it on the counter. And he's like, excuse me, uh, what's this, right? The, the guy walks up and he looks at it. He's like, hmm, I'll be right back, right? Comes back just a couple minutes later. He looks a little flushed, you know, a little flustered. And he's like, uh, where, where, did you, um, <clears throat> where did you get this? Oh, I um, found it in my attic. Okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you um, $25 for it. Oh, $25? Uh, I, I think I'll keep it. Uh, $100. Um, I don't know. $100. I'll give you $1,000 for it. Whoa, okay. Uh, what, what, is, what is it? That is a very rare coin. There's, there's very few like it in the world. Wow. Uh, how much is it worth? Well, it's actually worth about $25,000. Okay, thank you. So he puts it back in his pocket, right? And he runs back to the field, okay? He runs back to the field, and then he, he kicks open the box a little bit more, and he reaches in, and he, he feels something about the size of a baseball. And he pulls that out. It's kind of got this dull reddish color. And he goes back down the street, and he, take, he goes to a jeweler, and he takes this thing, and he just kind of sits it on the counter, like, boop. And the jeweler comes out, and he's like, oh, his eyes get really big, and he runs to the back office, right? The jeweler gets on the phone, he's like, hello, FBI, has there been any jewelry store robbings lately? He's like, no. And he's like, okay, thank you. And he hangs up, and he comes back out. He's like, what, where did you get this? He's like, my grandma. And the guy's like, do you know what this is? No. And he goes, this is a ruby. This is the biggest ruby I've ever seen in my life. Well, how much do you think it's worth? I can't, I can't place a value on it. it it's, it's priceless. 
He's like, okay, thank you, stuffs it up his shirt, and he runs back to the field, right? He gets back to the field, and he sees there's people in business suits looking at the for sale sign, just like, oh, yes, I guess we could uh, hear some talking. And they're like, yeah, I guess we can, you know, bulldoze it down and make it into a parking lot. This will do okay for that. And so then he panics. He kind of like kicks some dirt back over the box to cover it up, and he runs home. Forget about the bus. I mean, he's there like Usain Bolt, right? And he busts through the door, and he's like, honey, Sell the house, sell the car, sell the clothes, sell the TV, sell the kids, keep the kids, sell the dog. We're getting rid of everything. And she's like, what is wrong with my husband? What, what is going on? And he just goes, I'm going to buy a field, right? She's like, okay, that's it. He's off his rocker. He's lost it. He's done, right? He, so he sells everything, right? And his neighbors are like, oh, you know, Bill, he was such a nice guy. Then he just snapped. You know, like, I guess sitting in a cubicle nine to five just broke him. I mean, his poor wife, they sold the dog, you know? But how stupid does he look when he sells everything he has and he buys that field and he finds that box and three more like it and he has more money than... Everybody in his town, everybody in his state, enough money to buy Guatemala, right? Guatemala isn't expensive from what I understand. <laughs> no, but true story, I think Bill Gates has more money than the nation of Guatemala. But anyway. So, Jesus tells that story, right? And there's two ways that people interpret it. One way is that Jesus is the treasure in the field. And that you should give everything you have to have him. Right? There's a missionary named C.T. Studd. He said, he is no fool that gives up what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. He is no fool that gives up what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. But the other way to interpret this story is that you are the treasure in the field and that Jesus gave up everything to obtain you. You see, you are an eternal soul. And where your treasure is, your heart is also. You ever meet those people that are always happy and they're always helping other people? Where do you think their treasure is? So Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and the thief cannot steal. For where your treasure is, your heart is also. So there we are at the wedding. Pamela and Jonathan had asked me to officiate. So I'm up at the front and in a suit, Right? And Pam and Jonathan loved us, but they didn't love us that much because they got married in July in Texas outside. Yeah. The only suit I had was wool, right? Like, I'm like, bro, I can't. If I sweat off too much, I disappear, right? Like the Thanos snap. I just kind of. I got dehydrated. That's all. Right? So I'm standing at the front. And the sun is actively trying to kill me, right? And we go through the whole procession. Everybody's seated. You know, Jonathan's right here on my left, and his, his groomsmen are behind him. 
You know, they weren't wearing suits. Lucky jerks. Right? And then I see, up in the distance, since this is an outdoor wedding, I can see Pam, his bride, in beautiful white dress. Beautiful white dress on the top of a hill, just waiting. Right? And then it's my daughter's turn. It's time for the flower girl. And I'm so excited to watch her. Okay? So we had done the rehearsal thing. She had got practice, right? But in the moment, she panicked. See, in in the basket that Pam, she's crazy, right? In the middle of graduating and planning a wedding and leading a small group or life group, she took time to hand decorate the basket for Finney. It's just beautiful with lace and burlap, little pearls all over it. Finney loved it. She still has it, right? But See, in between the rehearsal and, and game day, wedding day, somebody had put some of that fake Easter grass in the basket. And another thing I didn't tell you about my daughter is she's a rule follower. And we told her, only drop flower petals. So, it's 1,000 degrees outside. Jonathan can see his bride... And my daughter's standing at the back of an aisle, digging through a basket to only get flower petals. She picks it up. She drops one. She takes a step. She digs through it. Grabs some. Very carefully drops them. Takes a step. I mean, she's moving so slow, even like a glacier would be like, kid, get out of the way. You know? Now you see grandma's about to die of a heat stroke. Jonathan just very well might explode, you know. And so I'm at the front. What what do I do? What's the protocol? So I'm trying to encourage my daughter, right? So I'm like, Vinny, Vinny, come here. Vinny. Vinny. Vinny, come on. Want a treat? You know, and it hits me. I'm calling my daughter like she's a dog, right? dad of the year, okay? And, and so I do the only thing that I can think to do. I walk down from the front. I go to where she is. I get down on her level and I say, Finnegan, it's just like we practice. Ready? You can do it. And she looked at me with her big brown eyes and she goes, I'm ready, daddy. I can do it. And we grab the flowers and we drop and we walk. Grab the flowers, drop, walk. We get to the front. And she prepared the way and introduced that bride to her groom. So some of you, some of you here are a bride. You're a highly valued bride. And you're sitting up on that ridge and the groom can see you. And he desperately desperately wants you to come to the altar 